Hello, I'm John Cash, CEO and Chairman of the Board of UR Energy. We are a publicly traded pure play uranium company. We trade on the New York American Exchange as well as on the TSX. We have two flagship uranium mining properties in Wyoming, both of which are in situ. Uh, the first is Lost Creek. It's been up and running now for over nine years, and we recently announced a ramp up of production there uh, due to some good contracts. We also have a second flagship property in Wyoming called Shirley Basin, and we have plans to ramp it up as we layer in additional contracts. Uh, we believe we can build that out in a time period of about 18 months. So it's a great time to be in the uranium space and glad to be with you, Ari. Um, John, good to see you again. Um, and f- fantastic to uh, you know be speaking to you in this kind of tumultuous market we've come off of for 2022. But things are looking a little bit um, green and interesting again in the uranium market, would you say? Encouraging? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It, it sounds like you know we've got good tailwinds all the time, and the market seems to be improving uh, based on just supply-demand fundamentals. But on top of that, some uh, geopolitics layered in on top of that. So, yeah, very exciting time in the market. And I think 2023 is going to be a really interesting year for us. Well, let's let's hope so. I think we're all sort of tired of talking about potential. And I think now, now we're seeing uh, everything kind of coming together at the same time. I'm, in fact, we're off to Luxembourg at the end of the month um, to the WNA there. Um, looks like a big, big turnout for sure. But look, the, the immediate news, the recent news, you've raised a chunk of change. What, why? Why that amount? And what are you going to do with it? You know, we were pretty well cashed up before the raise. Uh, we had well over $30 million. Uh, plus, we got inventories of 224,000 pounds that we could have converted into cash. But as we were going to go through ramp up, that, that takes a lot of cash. I mean, we're going from very limited production to uh, uh, quite high levels of production. So it takes a lot of energy, a lot of cash uh, to get us through that. And uh, while we didn't think we were going to run out of cash, we knew we would be going through a lot of it. So we wanted to raise money while we had money. Uh, That's always the best time to do that. You get the best rates from the bankers. uh, And and we surprised the market. And that was intentional. And we were glad to be able to do that. Uh, So that was the primary reason. Uh, The other reason, though, is uh, M&A. We believe that there could be some good opportunities uh, in 2023, 2024 to make acquisition on some really good quality properties uh, in the United States, potentially Canada, potentially Australia. Uh, we're looking very hard uh, at those opportunities and uh, we'd like to grow the company. And But we're going to be very disciplined in that growth strategy. We always have been. We always will be. We're only looking for good, high quality assets that we believe we can bring into production at today's market or in the very near future. So, but anyway, for those two reasons, to stay cashed up, but also to uh, put us in a position where we can be at the table in M&A discussions. And, you know, we, we saw the broader market softening just a bit. And we thought, you know, now's a good time to do that. And, you know, we were, we were right. Uh, the market softened and uh, across the sector, uh, share prices declined. So we're very glad we did the raise when we did got exceptionally good pricing. Right. Uh, well, well, that's that's for sure. Like I said, it, it was it was a kind of a lot of down pressure, uh, I think, in 2022. Um, but still, nevertheless, lots of new entrants coming into the marketplace. The co- competition is, is ramping up down at the exploration or prospecting uh, side of things. On the developer side, there's not a lot going on, it, it, it feels like. A lot of talk, not a lot of action. So for you guys as producers... Ramping up is important. Um, what is that, what's that going to signal to the North American market? Yeah, you know, you're, you're spot on. Uh, there are a lot of explorers out there, but there are very few developers and uh, very few producers. And so what we're seeing from uh, the utilities, not just in the U.S., but uh, in Europe as well, 
is they're really looking for uh, diversity of supply and they would really like to buy Western pounds, move away from Russian pounds and, and potentially even uh, former sa- uh, Soviet satellite pounds uh, towards something that's more reliable. And that uh, UR Energy, our Lost Creek property, has shown itself to be a proven producer for a very long time at very low cost. So uh, we're seeing a lot of RFPs coming in, a lot of opportunity there as people are moving to the West. And and, and do you think, what? how do you create value, right? So you, you guys, I've watched you guys for the last three and a half years uh, you, you know, and, and, and watched you grow. Um, but it, it, it's kind of felt like, you know, the market's been in control of the, of the value accretion there, you know, in terms of the, the uh, spot price rising from, you know, low 30s to, you know, in or around 50 uh, bucks. You guys now need to take control and drive that value creation yourself. So is that going to come through M&A? Because we've seen, a, you know, some, some overweight uh, suspects out there who perhaps need to do a bit of backfilling on their valuation after some M&A. And we've also seen, um, you know, a lot of uh, growth through, you know, through the drill bit, you know, through people kind of adding pounds and pounds in the ground, old school style. So what's your preferred uh, route for uh, value uh, growth? We're going to take advantage of every opportunity we have to grow the value of the company. I mean, exploration, we'll start with that, kind of work our way backwards. Lost Creek in particular, we have tremendous room uh, to grow that property through exploration. lots and lots of roll fronts that we have not explored yet. And so tremendous opportunity. And we're going to be talking about that more uh, going forward. Um, But we've not done a lot of exploration for the last few years because the market price has been depressed and we've got a 14-year mine live already. So really bringing more pounds into the story doesn't help the MPV on that project. But we're going to look at that more. We're going to talk about that more. But also growth through M&A. As I already mentioned, uh, looking for good quality projects that we can bring into production. We would really like to get into that three, four million pound a year production, put us beginning to get into that mid-tier size of company so we can really get to an economy of scale that drives down our cost of production. Beyond that, research and development, driving down our cost of production by doing things better, more efficiently, uh, using some novel technology. Uh, We've been talking about that uh, some lately. And uh, we're making some progress there. So we're not going to sit around and wait for the market to come to us. We're going to take a property that's already a low-cost property. Uh, Our C1 cash cost historically has been in the $16 range. The all-in mine site cost has been around $33. We're going to try to drive down those costs even further so we can compete with anybody in the Western world. And maybe we'll start infringing on some of the uh, Kazakh projects as well on, on their cost of production. So we're not resting on our laurels. Uh, we're being aggressive in every way we possibly can uh, to be more competitive. Right. And, and just talk to me about the North American market, because obviously you, you guys are, along with Energy Fuels, you know, part, part of the, um, the the group which um, tried to, you know, force the politicians to start taking note, right? You know, we we, right. we, we, we talked in the past about, uh, you know, Russia's role in, in all of this. And obviously recently they've, they've really kind of affected and, and, and driven sentiment in the market, certainly around... Um, you know, energy security um, and energy transition uh, as well. Um, how are the North American politicians viewing North American players? And I, I know you want to kind of maybe roll in the kind of Canadians, but if we can stick with you know home first, like US focused 
companies um, are they going to be capable of of stepping up to the to the the plate, as it were? Well, you know, unfortunately, uh, us at Energy Fuels, we were right about the uh, geopolitical risk uh, affecting the uh, supply chain for uranium, and uh, that's really coming to bear right now. Unfortunately, this it's really shouldn't have had that happened. Uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine is it's unacceptable. It's un it's hard to even fathom why that that's happened. Uh, but nonetheless. Uh, you know, we stand ready to supply into that market. There are very few producers uh, left in the United States. And so the ability of the United States producers to ramp up uh, to fill some of that demand, it, it's weakened uh, because uh, the prices have been so low for so long. Uh, you've got state players in Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, uh, Russia that have really put a lot of pressure on the market for a number of years. And they've made the Western players uh, non-competitive. That's not just in the U.S. That's anywhere in the Western world. If you look at Australian projects, Canadian projects, look at how they declined production uh, for a number of years. I mean, for a while, even Canada has the highest grade projects in the world had to shut down production because they simply couldn't compete. But that's reversing itself now. Uh, the world is beginning to come to grips with the need to go back to Western supply. Those mines are coming back online. Certainly, we're coming back online with significant new production, uh, but it's going to take time, and uh, it's going to be a difficult process. Uh, one of the things that people don't really appreciate is mining is hard, not just uranium mining, but mining in general is hard. It's, it's hard to permit. It's technically hard. Environmental regulations are challenging. Uh, there's so many challenges that we're up against uh, in any commodity when you mine, and uranium mining is no different. Take a look at 2007, 2008, when the price of uranium got over $100 a pound on the spot market. How many new mines came into production during that time frame? Minimal, global, minimal. And so to think that we're going to be able to respond in 2023 very quickly as the price goes up 5 or 10 $15 a pound, uh, I think that uh, thought process is misplaced. It's going to take time and a lot of effort and finance uh, across the country, ac across North America, to be able to respond to that, right? And there's been it's been an interesting time, obviously, with 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 COVID and with with inflationary pressures and printing of money. Um, you know, people there's the deglobalization. De it was very very much a kind of bu buzzword, but specifically within uranium, the the U.S. Um, first U.S. senators, you know, came out in, in support. You know, and they they have um, raised awareness, but. And there have been conversations about you know the you know um, the you know funding for uranium stockpiles for you know for um, for a while now, but I haven't seen or I'm not aware of much of much of the money that's been talked about over the past couple of years from the U.S. government actually kind of coming into companies to help U.S. companies. Um, with what they want to do, which is obviously in, increase their production to you know help ensure that energy security, are you are you seeing anything? Are you are you aware of conversations? Are you having any conversations along those lines where you, you expect that more U.S. government money will come into the space and help these juniors kind of move along the phases? Yeah. So in December of 2020, in the waning days of Trump administration, uh, Congress passed and President Trump signed uh, the Uranium Reserve uh, Bill that allocated $75 million to purchase domestic material. Now that program is now done. That was a one-time purchase of material. Uh, we were one of the benefactors of that. We were able to sell 100,000 pounds to the Department of Energy, got a really nice price, a little over $64 a pound. 
Uh, but that's behind us now. It was a great help. Uh, we're certainly going to take that cash and deploy it toward ramping up at Lost Creek. But going forward, any additional help uh, from Congress, it's really hard to predict. There are certainly ongoing discussions uh, being spearheaded by the Uranium Producers of America. We're a member of that trade organization. Uh, but to get something passed in Congress, I mean, you know the old saying, that takes an act of Congress, uh, which is an indication that it's impossible. Uh, but yeah, I, we're not betting the company on that. Uh, instead of relying on government, uh, we are looking at signing up long-term contracts with utilities that put us in a profitable position. Now, if the uranium reserve is expanded, we'll be glad to participate in that and produce into that and help fill up that reserve to improve security of supply here in the U.S. But we're certainly not betting on it and just a bit agnost- agnostic on it right now. Right. And were there, were there, can, were there conditions precedent with that, with that first, that hundred, first hundred thousand pounds that you, you, you sold into the uranium, uranium reserve? And would you expect more conditions if there was, you know, additional money to go into a U.S. uranium reserve uh, fund? Yeah, I mean, because dealing with government's difficult, right? It's really it difficult, is, it and is. sometimes it's best to sit back and get on with you know doing it your way. Yeah, there are always strings attached, right? Uh, so yeah, the first round uh, they had to be U.S. produced pounds, had to be from a U.S. producer, and you know at this point, Matt, I don't think that there are a lot of U.S. pounds left. All of those pounds were out of inventories, and at this point, I don't think there are many pounds of U.S. produced uh, left in inventory. So if there's an additional program, it means it'll have to come from new production or largely from new production. That means that the Department of Energy will likely be required to go through a NEPA process uh, to approve that. So anytime the U.S. government gets involved in NEPA, probably the best they're going to do is two-year review, maybe as much as a four-year review. So even if they do develop a really good program and, and maybe allocate $150 million a year to it, over a 10-year program, which was the original recommendation to them, even if they do that, I think we're looking at a minimum of of two, maybe as many as four years before that program is initiated. So yeah, it's it's a, it's a bit of a long shot, and even if it's successful, it's probably years out. Right. Okay. And so obviously, since we last spoke, there's a few kind of cute things happening in the marketplace. You know, um, obviously, Spit continues to um, mop up inventory, mobile inventory. Um, you've got, you know, yellow cake and you've got the Kazakhs doing, doing the same thing. And, and some new entrants, uh, ETF entrants as, as well, Sprott included, um, who are making it a very interesting dynamic financial environment. Whereas once it was just a case of supply, simple supply demand economics. Um, do you, and, and, and I think that's significantly advanced the, the case for uh, investing in uranium and the case for, for, for nuclear, for, for sure. Um, but for, for you, do you think we'll see any more kind of cute um, exercises? Just get noted. I'm, I'm sort of referencing sort of, you know, Denison and UEC buying pounds in, 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 the, in the market previously when, when, when times are quiet and, and, and um, being beneficiaries of that arbitrage. Are you focused on building your business or do you think there's going to be a few more sort of um, games and, and, and quirks necessary just to kind of um, tread water until you know this contracting does come back because um, it just it, it's not quite there at the volumes we, we need. You've seen you've been the beneficiary of a little bits of it, but what, how do you time this? Yeah, will there be more tricks, some more gamesmanship? You know, CEOs around the industry are up late at night uh, thinking about opportunities there. 
So yeah, I think there's still some uh, real opportunity there. But for us, we're not after the gamesmanship. I mean, we'll we'll if we see an opportunity, we'll take advantage of it. But we're more interested in being producers and keeping that cost as low as we possibly can to try to increase the the revenue for the company and the profit margin for the company. That's us. That's UR Energy. Uh, and in some ways, that distinguishes us from a number of our peers, uh, not just in the U.S., but globally. And so that's our mantra. That's what we're going to try to continue to do. And uh, hey, we'll look for opportunities, but in our hearts, we're miners, and that's where we want to be. Okay, that, that, that's, that's, that's interesting, um, eyes on the prize. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you kind of caught um, Arano doing uh, ISR uh, tests in Niger, yeah. the usual one. Yeah, <laughs> what do you think of that? Yeah, you know, in situ is a fantastic technology. It helps you address ore bodies that may not be economic with conventional mining, but you have to keep in mind it has severe restrictions uh, based on the hydrology uh, and geochemistry uh, of the ore body. So I think they're very wise to take a look at the possibilities of using in situ, but you know, you have to be honest, there are severe restrictions. If the rock is too tight and the water can't flow, or there are too many fractures and the flow follows fractures instead of having plug flow, or if there are geochemical reasons why the lixiviant won't uh, dissolve uh, the uranium mineralization, all of those would preclude uh, the successful implementation of in situ. So by all means, they should try. Uh, that, that's a fantastic idea to take a look at that. But I think they'll know pretty quick. It doesn't take very long to figure out uh, via pump testing and benchtop uh, leach testing if it's going to work or not. So I wish them well. And uh, if uh, they can make in situ work on that property, it could turn into a great property for them. It, it, it'd be interesting. I think that'll be an interesting one for, for sure, certainly for yeah. others in, in, in Africa with, with, with um, their, their bodies. But there's real pressure on companies to, as you, you've mentioned a few times, you know, drive those costs lower in an environment where it's become, as I say, mining's difficult, costs have increased across the board, not not just for lixivians, but, um, you know, fuels and uh, salaries and actually getting people and also, you know, all, all the equipment that you, you guys need to buy is going to, it's driving that base cost level just that little bit higher each time, and it's it's a tough environment to operate. So I guess I, I you're thankful that you're in ISR, not con, not conventional, right? And I'm really glad Lost Creek is built out. I sure would hate to embark on building out a full size plant right now, especially a conventional plant. You know, ISR plants, the capital expenditure on them is a fraction of what it costs to build out a conventional plant, and you can do it so much faster. But Lost Creek, we're completely built out. That capital's been expended. So we do need to continue to spend to advance the mine out in the well field, but that cost is relatively small compared to building out a new facility. So puts us in a good position, but you're spot on. Inflationary pressures are real. We see it every day as we order chemicals, as we hire people, contractors. Uh, material supply chains as well are really challenging right now, uh, especially when it comes to electrical equipment and industrial monitoring equipment like flow meters, pressure meters. Uh, the lead times on those are quite long and uh, prices have gone up. And again, we're very fortunate at Lost Creek that we can simply recycle material from older header houses. We just move it forward. So we've got that advantage and uh, it, it puts us in a really good spot. We've also had an advanced purchasing program at literally since 2021. We saw this coming. And so we've got our list of equipment that we need we buy it sometimes a year, 
14 months in advance because we know it's going to take that long to come in. But it presents those issues present real challenges to our industry, especially if you're trying to break in uh, with a new mine. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. That kind of moved from just in time um, to strategy through to you know having to build in- inventories and you know sitting on your balance sheet. It's it's, uh, it's a new, new paradigm, I, I suspect, for uh, most most miners. Um, just on the something you mentioned earlier with regards to trying new technologies over and above conventional ISR technology. What, what, what do you mean by that? So for a number of years in the in-situ world, the prices have been so depressed, people are just kind of trying to hang on, save a dime everywhere you possibly can. So there's been little research and development, uh, but we're trying to reverse that trend. We've had a number of successes in the last few years with uh, well abandonment methods, with some water treatment disposal uh, techniques, uh, some permitting uh, opportunities that we've uh, brought to bear. We've been very successful, and in our peers in the U.S. follow us in a number of those. But uh, in uh, late last year, we announced two new research and development programs that we're working on. Uh, both of them focus on reducing our environmental footprint, but at the same time, lowering cost. And we believe there are, is a lot of opportunity to accomplish both of those goals. But the first one uh, that we're working on is a new well casing and installation methodology. Uh, we've completed phase one testing on that. We've successfully installed six wells. And uh, initially it was very difficult. We worked through some of the challenges. This was all very new, uh, but we've worked through that. We've got it figured out. And now we're moving on to phase two testing to develop the wells and ensure that they will take water. Th- this is all very challenging. It's all new. It's never been done before. It's cutting edge. And uh, so I can't guarantee you what the outcome is going to be, but we're optimistic we're going to be successful. We've applied for a patent, and we should be hearing back uh, from the U.S. government on that within a few months if we're successful uh, with that patent. So that's fantastic. It it looks like right now with the initial testing, we're going to reduce the drill rig time for injection wells by 75%. That's a real impact to the bottom line. Uh, I think we can save between 2 and dollars and $3.5 a pound if we're successful with the implementation of the technology. The second okay. orange- yeah, the second R&D program uh, focuses around water treatment and filtration. Disposal of wastewater in any industry is expensive. And so we want to reduce the amount of wastewater we generate. And uh, we've been doing some benchtop tests in that regard. And uh, on both of these programs, both R&D programs, we've had to step back just a little bit because we're working on ramp up. We've got limited bandwidth on employees. But as soon as we get some momentum with ramp up, we're going to take our energies back to the research and development and uh, put a focus on those. But things are looking good. We're moving those forward, and we'll have more to report on that in the coming months. Okay, so just if I just look at the balance sheet, um, you look at, you've got about 220,000 uh, remaining inventory. There are thereabouts. Um, production looks like what today? And what do you think you're going to be able to build it up to organically, through the organic, not, none of the M&A activity, just organically over the, say, the course of the next three years? What, what are you aiming for? Yeah, so uh, just looking at the contract book, not capacity, I'll get to that in just a second. But looking at the contract book, this calendar year, 2023, we are slated to produce 200,000 pounds and sell into contracts. Next year and for the five years, uh, the contract book goes to 600,000 pounds. So that gives us really good revenue, but it still leaves us a lot of room to grow production. Uh, for example, at Lost Creek, 
even though the book is a uh, contract book is 600,000 pounds, our licensed capacity and plant capacity allows us to go up to 1.2 million pounds per year. So that represents only 50% of our physical and licensed capacity from the well field. We've also got Shirley Basin on the heels of that. It's licensed at a million pounds a year from the well field. So we've got a lot more room to grow the contract book as the price continues to increase. We look to layer in additional higher price contracts going forward. Right. Uh, so beyond that, yeah. Oh, go ahead, Matt. I was, I was about to say, obviously, with with um, you know, term contract, it's it's as much as about the relationships, and clearly the price, um, as as it is about timing, right? I think timing for businesses is, is absolutely critical. So, again, you you can go out and get contracts at lower lower amounts, but that's probably not in your vested interest. So how do you get that kind of balancing phase between what's acceptable, given the margins you you want to achieve, versus what makes sense now, possibly at lower prices, just to kind of get your foot through the door, get into contract books where you haven't got contracts at the moment, and establish yourself as a trusted producer into the U.S. market. Yeah, you know, I've got my crystal ball behind me and I look at it every day to see where the prices are going to go and it never gives me the answer I, I want or anything reliable. So uh, since we don't have the crystal ball working, what we do is we just try to layer in sufficient high-priced contracts to give us good revenues uh, so that we don't have to keep going back and tapping the market. We also try to leave ourselves some good blue sky uh, that I mentioned earlier, we have a lot of additional capacity to grow beyond that. But I should comment on pricing as well. The contracts we've signed to date are very high-priced contracts. They are significantly better than the spot price or the published long-term price. And that's because of two reasons. Uh, first off, we're a Western producer and utilities globally are looking for more reliable supply. So they were willing to uh, give us a significant uh, bonus to do that. And also they were willing to go out on a limb a little bit and say, hey, look, because of that desire to get more Western production, we're willing to incentivize new production or to bring production online. So because of that, uh, the first two contracts we've signed are at exceptional pricing. They are very profitable on an all-in company-wide basis. So uh, I, I have to keep repeating that because people are concerned, hey, you're giving up the farm here at $50 a pound. Oh, no, we're not selling at $50 a pound. We are way north of $50 a pound, and uh, we're looking for much higher pricing than that going forward. Well, this is what I wanted to get to, okay, and this is why, why I asked, asked the question about what, what you want to achieve because a lot of the companies that I, your own company CEOs that come on the show are saying, well, hey, look how profitable we are at 80 bucks." It's amazing at eighty bucks, right? But we need to be incentivized to 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 get there. You're saying you're you're a real world producer, not talking about it. You're doing it, and you've got contracts, um, and you're looking to kind of ramp up. Okay, so you're having those conversations, not about theory, but about actualities, right? Right. So that 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 reality is is better information than companies talking about the theory of what price they'll need and how good life will be because uranium series have been given a free pass it seems it, it was well they feel they have been given a free pass because if i had a gold uh ceo come in and say hey look how profitable we are at three thousand bucks i i would probably stop recording right but this yeah. the uranium ceos in the development phase 
that's the game they feel that they can they can talk and we're some ways off that and clearly in spot and i don't know where we are these usually some kind of premium for for term contracts typically um so but you're saying well those those premium prices are already there those conversations can be had utilities and others will incentivize for north american production but canada's got the problem that it's all very far away from being in, into production the the african plays whilst whilst you know you know reasonable margins low grade but reasonable margins need to get financed um for the capex component and you know that's a big chunk of change that they that, that they need to come up with um you guys don't have that problem uh, I, I, I expect you're, you're telling me because the you know you've got the you've got the infrastructure in place. It's it's ISR. It's reasonably it's pretty high margin stuff. Um, but there's still a game to be played and decision to be made by you as to how much how quickly you ramp that up, given what you know about today's in, incentivized prices, premium prices that you're getting. Right. So that's that's what I'm trying to get at. Well, that decision making about you could go out and produce a bunch more pounds very very quickly, but you know. Well, you must feel that your own price is going somewhere north of where it is today. Yeah, we feel very strongly that it's going to continue to improve. And we're blessed at Lost Creek with an incredibly nice ore body, with incredibly high recovery rates. We're averaging 90% recovery, which is really setting a new standard for the entire in situ industry. And so that allows us to produce at a very low cost. So uh, all in mine side cost, 33 bucks a pound. Today, the spot price is around 51. So even if I just went and sold on the spot, I've already got really good margins there. Um, now, that's not, that doesn't include my all-in corporate overhead cost, but mine side cost around 33. Uh, with inflation, maybe we get to 35, 36, somewhere in that, in that range. But we're already cutting a really nice profit. And by locking in some of those long-term contracts, which are significantly higher, we got really nice profits. And a lot of our competitors simply can't say that because they don't have the ore body to be able to back that up. And so we're happy to go ahead and sign those contracts. We believe the price is going to go higher. feel very strongly about that, uh, especially based on geopolitics, based on what Congress is doing to uh, sanction Russia. Uh, I'm feeling stronger every day that that's going to happen, that that supply is going to get cut off from Russia. I think that's going to continue to put pressure on the price, put pressure on overfeeding, create more demand. And I think we're headed to a, a good place. We're ready to benefit from that. It, and I would just add to Matt that for my peers, my competitors that say, well, hey, we'll ramp up later to feed into that. You got to be careful with that philosophy because ramp up is never easy. People say, oh, well, we'll just flip the switch. It's never as easy as just flipping the switch. So I'm really glad that we have already taken the steps to do the hiring get the contracts in place, fill the chemical tanks, uh, get our employees trained. We're no longer standing flat-footed. We are responding and we can respond more quickly later to wrap up further because we've already taken those steps. It takes a lot of energy to get to where we are. And so uh, for people to say, hey, we'll respond very quickly to the market, Maybe you will, maybe you won't. You got to be careful there. Well, well, I think I think some interesting conversations to be had um, in, in the sector. So again, quite a few of the North American guys are coming, telling us um, that they're going to process their stuff at you know White Mesa, and I think 
apparently isn't used to white mesa. So again, in terms of margins, not just case how much you produce, but in terms of come back to that point about margin. You, and you, you've you've made the point very well today. It's about the margins that you're going to be capable of of, of making because marginal projects possibly will struggle, and those that can't actually process, well, are not in control of the price at which they process, will will be in trouble. So it's it's an interesting time in the North American market for sure. Um, it should be an intriguing 2023. Yeah, it, it will. You know, it seems like it's just a great time to be in our space. I, I think it's more positive now than it's been in probably 20, 30 years. Uh, there's so much good news coming out. It seems like every day when I read the trade press, so much significant good news. I mean, just the last few days, India has announced that they're going to be bringing on 10 more reactors. Uh, Greta Thunberg, probably one of the strongest anti-nuclear advocates out there, has softened her position and has recommended that Germany keep their reactors online. Uh, Congress in the U.S. is taking uh, pretty strong positions across party lines to support uh, nuclear utilities in very meaningful ways. So it's an exciting time to be in our space. And uh, I just I look forward to opening the news every day because every day just more good news piled on top of good news. So, yeah, I think 2023, 2024 are going to be great years for the industry and for your, your energy.